Hi, it's Chris from Radio Free New England, and we're back with this week's audio essay. A number of items this week all point to a common theme. Data is not to be pursued for its own sake, nor just to make a profit. If data is just about data or about money, then it can be dangerous and destructive. We'll get back to our audio essay after this. It's been a long time coming for Radio Free New England to be back on the air. We promised some interviews, we promised some New England flavors, and those will be coming. But they're going to be interspersed with audio essays and ideas about the world that we live and the world around us. So it'll be part politics, part culture, part just what's on my mind, and still those same wonderful interviews that you enjoy from great New Englanders who are making culture, arts, and the community a better place to live. Back to this week's audio essay. In the first place... Adolf Eichmann's plea for leniency this week is a disgusting example of just how data and data managers can be dangerous. Eichmann's entire defense to his participation in the extermination of six million human beings boils down to this. He said that he was just an instrument, was only concerned with doing the task before him in the most efficient manner. That is what data-driven decisions are, pieces of larger puzzles value-agnostic morsels. There's reason to believe that Eichmann, like his fellow Nazis, was lying about his knowledge and his role in the death camps. However, even if you take Eichmann at his word, we should be greatly disturbed by the power that role identification and the drive for efficiencies can play in life. Take education, for instance. The Atlantic published a terrific essay this week on introverted teachers and students being left out by 21st century education. Focus was on meetings, group standards, and professional learning communities. You know, those places where t teachers sift through data and adjust their teaching to the data. Much of the revolution in education is informed by this data through frequent testing, standards-based learning, and evaluations based on student performance. It's a system anchored only by changing data and not by any commonly held belief or sense of value. What this fails to consider is the purpose of education and what it is that students are learning, why they're spending six and a half hours a day, sometimes even more than that, eight, ten hours a day, working on these things that our community tells them to do. For many, the purpose of school seems blindingly simple. Learn some skills so you can get a job or pursue what interests you. But that form of education leaves too much to chance. What values does this form of schooling teach? that work and financial success are the ultimate ends? The question of ultimate ends was taken up by another terrific essay that appears in the New York Times Opinionator section this week. Robert Frodman and Adam Briggle write in When Philosophy Lost Its Way, that philosophy, which used to deal with ultimate ends and how to live, now is held captive by the notions of a research university. Namely, that all subjects are created equal, and that the end goal, as it is in every research university, is to publish, in order to maintain your financial position, one assumes. Frodman and Briggle believe that this jeopardizes the long history of philosophy as something grounded in real life and the problems of living well. He notes that in ancient Greece and Rome, philosophy was not taught in an ivory tower, but rather in public places where it was accessible to much of the population. As an aside, one of the most famous philosophies of that era, Stoicism, was founded by a former slave, Zeno, and the word itself, Stoic, refers to where the first Stoics gathered to debate and learn, the pillars of the marketplace. 
Froben and Briggle argue that there is something lost in focusing only on the technical, they say. Like the sciences, philosophy has largely become a technical enterprise. The only difference being that we manipulate words rather than genes or chemicals. Lost is the once common sense notion that philosophers are seeking the good life, that we ought to be, in spite of our failings, model citizens and model human beings. Having become specialists, we have lost sight of the whole. The point of philosophy now is to be smart, not good. End quote. All of these pieces point to bad news for our Western world. We're in a period of existential turmoil, and yet we're educating students not for dealing with big problems and value-driven decisions, but for the managerial problems of data management. We're also living in an era that minimizes the role and accessibility of philosophy and morality-driven living. This gravitational pull towards data and away from philosophy may very well be leading us into dangerous territory. We are shaping a generation habitually oriented to efficiency, performance, and data without core convictions. What then? Are we setting ourselves up for a future of Eichmanns, or less dangerous but equally unfulfilling lives as men without chests, as C.S. Lewis once said? Lest we believe we'll be saved by the aggregators of this massive amount of data, we should consider that our American system is built on skepticism towards accumulated power. Froben and Briggle remind us that the folks behind science are just like us, only with technical degrees. They say the individual scientist is no different from the average Joe. He or she has no special authority pronounced on what ought to be done. For many, science has become a paycheck, and the scientist became a demoralized tool enlisted in the service of power, bureaucracy, and commerce, end quote. If we've already lost faith in our institutions, as recent polls suggest, are we ready to put unlimited faith in techies who crunch our numbers and tell us how to change our lives for the low, low cost of their app in the App Store or an even more rewarding to them monthly subscription? So what can be done? This problem is too big to proffer a quick fix. However, we can and should start with demanding more substance out of our classrooms, not just a system obsessed with scores, but geared toward thinking and ultimate ends. We should also insist on pursuing meaning and wisdom in our daily lives. Is modern philosophy lacking, as Froedman and Briggle point out? Well, then we, as individuals, should dive into the greats. Many of the works are available for free online or as inexpensive paper editions. We don't need to be experts, but we do need to take responsibility for our own ways of living. Whether you consult religious texts, Plato, Cicero, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Hume, Locke, or Rousseau, or any of the Eastern traditions, you should consider the following. How can I live with a life of purpose? Do I have a sense of direction? Do my values align with my actions? Am I paying attention to how I affect those closest to me? Instead of aggregating data, I propose we collect this information in a single, low-tech device. Put the thoughts generated by your reading and by your daily living into a journal. Assess your progress in living honestly and review it from time to time. That seems to me how we can build reflective, values-driven lives that we can all be proud of, and a way to inoculate ourselves against the dangers of living without an anchoring principle. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out more at rfne.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or catch us on medium.com. Thanks for listening to Radio Free New England.